All right, wonderful people, welcome back to 12-Pack Radio, the most interesting podcast in your face, covering Pac-12 football news. This is Brian Conger, the host of Wildcat Radio and 12-Pack Radio. You can follow the podcast for free on Twitter at 12-Pack Radio at 12PAC Radio, where Rob is uh, sending out dirty, dirty knowledge bombs, so make sure to check that out. You can also follow us on, uh, or subscribe to the podcast for free on Google Play, TuneIn Radio, iTunes, any podcast catcher out there. We are on there where you can catch the podcast for free and i am joined as always by the master and commander of the beta rank college football advanced statistical model mr rob bowron what's going on rob oh uh well we can say this about pac-12 football it's not as bad as pac-12 basketball oh sweet sweet moses it was a terrible <laughs> terrible week for pac-12 basketball yeah i know uh, i mean hat tip hat tip to belmont it is a uh, small university that is just like it's uh, Vanderbilt's uh, neighbor in its neighborhood and uh, like a tiny, tiny university and they beat UCLA for, okay. So just, I'm going to pump the brakes for one moment. Uh, I think it's Robert or Rick. It's Rick bird. The coach for Belmont is a like legend in the college football coaching circles. And so uh, they had played, I forget what team it was, but there was a statistic that flashed on the television. This is probably like four or five years ago, but I know it's still true because Belmont is quite good every year. If you looked at the top schools in the country in terms of win percentage, it was like Duke, Kentucky, Arizona, like, uh, it was some weird one like Xavier and then Belmont <laughs> was one of the five, top five ga- teams that had a, a, the, one of the best winning percentages in the country. And one more thing, Rob, did you see that backcourt pass uh, play that they called? Did you see that bright breakdown that was tweeted around? No, I, I did not. There is a Twitter handle that everybody should follow. It's called halftime hoops. I think uh, we'll have to tweet it out, but uh, they, just did that last play call for, by the way, we're going to talk college football, <laughs> but they did the yeah. last, last second play call that Belmont used to beat UCLA and they've run it like three or four times when they really needed a bucket. And it's, it's pretty fascinating. The point guard runs over to the right and purposefully takes the ball into his hands. He stops his dribble. And what that does is people immediately swarm around him because, you know, like you pick up your dribble, it's like the worst possible thing you can do. But he does right. it on purpose. And the, the guy loops around the right. He plants and then pivots and then just shoots toward the basket. And in this case, the UCLA guy just looks stupid. He landed flat on his face. And, of course, they got the bucket. So this guy broke down every single time they've run that play. And the biggest takeaway I took from it was that like Lipscomb and like Florida Gulf Coast and some other stupid team defended that play better than UCLA did, which is all four and five star <laughs> players. But, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, yeah, actual basketball is a mess and I'm so excited to talk about it in the coming months. But that is neither here nor there. We're still covering the uh, Pac-12 football and we had a bowl game, Rob. We did. Uh, it did not start out auspiciously for the Pac-12, but it went as we expected for the, our first game. Fresno State was a tough draw. Oh, absolutely. I think one of the things that I'm seeing on Twitter is a lot of people are saying, oh, my gosh, Pac-12 bowl season's already off to a terrible start and blah, 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 blah. Yes, the Pac-12 had a bad year last year against the Bulls. Utah was the saving grace. God bless you, Utah. Um, and uh, surprisingly, Will Greer will not play in this game, <laughs> their West Virginia bowl game, a second time in a row. But um, 
the the thing that struck me was that Fresno State had an excellent defense. We talked about this defense. They were number nine in the country against the run. They were number 19 in the country against the pass. And I just want to give a little credit where credit is due, and that's with Eno Benjamin, to go out there and drop 129 yards and a touchdown on Fresno State's defense uh, is quite impressive particularly without Nikhil Harry. And again, like you mentioned, Rob, we thought that Fresno was going to beat ASU. ASU has some interesting pieces, but as a whole, it's not as strong uh, of a team as we would like uh, as Pac-12 fans. But what stood out for you most when you were kind of looking over the numbers here? I think what really stood out for me was the second half. I mean, ASU couldn't do anything in the second half against this Fresno State defense. Um, they were reasonably effective in the first half. Uh, and uh, Benjamin ran the ball pretty well. But, man, in that second half, they were just totally, totally shut down by uh, Fresno State. Fresno State made some very good halftime adjustments. And uh, congratulations, you know, Benjamin. School rushing record, ASU's rec- record, 1,642 yards. He is now number one, the top of the mountain as a sophomore. So uh, a lot more to expect from him to move forward. The thing that struck me most, Rob, was the fact that Ronnie Rivers, Fresno State's running back, dropped a 200-burger on ASU's defense and two touchdowns. And we know that ASU wasn't great against the run, but uh, I wasn't expecting 200 yards, uh, particularly when you had somebody like Marcus McMarion that was slinging the ball around. I mean, you're looking at one more carry than Benjamin had, but almost 100 yards more uh, (laughs) than Benjamin had. Just what a game. I mean, ASU's defense was not great. We highlighted that before this game. Um, I was not expecting uh, Fresno State to be able to come in and just run it down ASU's throat, uh, but that's exactly what they did. And McMarion didn't have a, did not have a great game. I mean, it, he went, you know, basically just a shade over fifty percent completion, two interceptions. I mean, pretty rough outing, uh, and and didn't run. I mean, he ran the ball pretty well. I mean, four carries you know, 41 yards. That's a bit of a difference maker right there, but he was not a difference maker through the air. Um, But they were able to really grind it out. And with the aid of probably, and I like Manny Wilkins did not have many interceptions this year, probably his worst interception um, of the year turned into a touchdown uh, in that first half. Oh, it was, it was terrible. And right when he threw it, I knew that the hate was going to be thrown to you, towards you, Rob, because Manny Wilkins has had a pretty good statistical year on the year. We're actually going to yeah. talk about all of the offensive uh, skill players in the Pac-12 South this uh, podcast, which we should have mentioned in the beginning. But that was such a backbreaking uh just pick six and it was interesting it, I, I think it was her it was herb street i was trying to remember who the people over there were announcing it did a really good job of breaking that play down because basically they were saying without Nikhil harry the fresno state secondary was kind of creeping up and not really mm-hmm. playing those bombs and you could just see that that uh, defensive back was not fooled one bit and he just ate up that pass took it back for six the other thing to mention with wilkins he certainly didn't have a good game this uh but if you look at his stats uh, and just did South County, it says two interceptions. That last pass, uh, that last interception was his last pass of the game. Um, still not a great game, not a great look for what you want to see. And um, uh, he's, is he done? He's a senior, right? Yeah. But I mean, don't, I mean, everyone's going to, I mean, if you, if he's a bit of a Rorschach test at this point, if you 
didn't like Manny Wilkins coming into this game. You had plenty of reason, you know, in this game to point to, but lots of people would have struggled against this, this Fresno state defense. This is a very, very good defense. Um, I think what's interesting in this game is Wilkins had a decent completion percentage, but what's missing is yards after catch. I mean, Fresno state really got up there and made good tackles. I mean, um, Manny only averaged, you know, 4.2 yards per attempt. That's very low. I mean, he was he was often having to check down and find the underneath receiver, but that receiver wasn't making uh, much to do with the ball. My favorite part of this game was at the end of the second half. And for whatever reason, Herm, at the end of these games or at the end of these halves, there's always something that kind of bubbles up. And I thought this was fun. Basically, and it wasn't his fault. There was basically ASU had the ball at like the three or four uh, yard line with an opportunity to score a touchdown or I mean give or take I forget but it was like very close they had a chance to score a touchdown all of these players like run on the field and it's like the wrong unit that runs on the field or not enough numbers <laughs> and then the, and then the punt I think the punter runs on the field and then runs off and it was so funny because I was looking at him because it was the face and what he was saying in his headset was the equivalent of when I have three children under the age of four and it was the equivalent of like my four children coming up to me and all saying something different and wanting something different from me and I'm just saying <laughs> all right let's freaking chill out for a moment and that was exactly the face that he had you you could tell he's like all right everybody just calm down let's let's figure out what we want to do uh it was he's just a fun guy to watch and um i can't help but smile when i see those moments happen uh for asu so uh i'm trying to think of anything else that really i was surprised that merlin robertson didn't play um and i'm uncertain why so i i had the volume up uh, at some points of this game but not the whole game but um he and akil harry like we had mentioned had not played um you know, it's interesting. ASU paid uh, Todd Graham like $15 million to go away. And then this, they have the same record <laughs> this year that they did last year. Yeah. Um, and we talked about this a little bit last week, but it does seem like it's a less hectic, less of a roller coaster vibe for ASU this year. It seemed like the ship was pretty steady. They had a lot of games that were close that they could have won. The season could have gone a little bit different. But uh Certainly, the the Herm the Herm experiment is better than anticipated, Rob. Right? Yeah, I think there's a lot of positives here. I think if I, you you, I am interested to see what this offense looks like without Nikhil Harry and Manny Wilkins. Um, I think they've done a decent job scheming out the run. They're going to have to recruit better offensive linemen, but. Uh, I expect this defense to get better with Danny Gonzalez having a little more time uh, to recruit and some of those players to develop. You you have to feel pretty good. And, and they just landed. <clears throat> I don't follow. I, I'd really try to only follow the very the big highlights of recruiting. They just landed a big QB recruit. Um, ASU did. I think they landed the top dual threat quarterback in the country. Um, beating at Utah and some other schools for uh, a four-star dual threat quarterback. So um, you, even with this loss, you kind of have to to feel like things are kind of going Herm's way. Yeah. The kid's name is Jaden Daniels. He's a six, three, one eighty-five dual threat quarterback, number three in the country at his position. And I mean, if you just look at his offer sheet, it's everybody like, you know, it's Alabama. I'm just going in alphabetical order, like Alabama, Florida state, Nebraska, Ohio state, Oregon, Penn state, Tennessee. I mean, like it's 16 different schools that have offered him. So clearly a big coup from Herm. And I am curious to see uh, how long that offensive coordinator sticks around. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Some questionable play calling uh, just over the 
series of games that we saw with ASU. But uh, even that said, Danny Gonzalez is legit, and um, I would take this if I were an ASU fan. Yeah, absolutely. This is, I mean, especially if you looked at, if we were grading out what we thought coming into the season. I mean, I, <laughs> kudos to me, I was a little higher on ASU than a lot of other people. <laughs> I don't know who you're or talking you know, about, Rob. <laughs> but I mean, there, 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 there are some I got glaringly wrong, but we're, we won't talk about those today because they were mostly in the north. Uh, well, I did get at USC just abysmally wrong, uh, but nearly everyone else did too. But uh, ASU, I mean, you, you should you should feel good about this season. I mean, the offense was a lot better than expected. It was mostly pretty fun to watch. Uh, the emergence of the running game should encourage you because that should you should, that should stick around for the most part. Um, and it, to be honest, like this offense didn't have, like it had some great pieces, but it wasn't like a complete unit. So, but, uh, what I guess would discourage me if I was an ASU fan and maybe I have big questions about is like I said, like who you're losing. And then we talked about this as the year wound down that, um, a lot of defensive coordinators seem to have figured out what Likens was doing and he didn't seem to have a lot of responses to, to, to fall back on to kind of alternate what they were doing. Sure. Yeah. They got the number 35 recruiting class in the country, 21 total commits. We will look, we're not going to break down every team's recruiting class at length, but we will talk about um, where some of these teams are and maybe even some of the key signees. I'm, I, I'm not speaking for myself on that front, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but, but it is important, right? Like we, we've talked about this. Stars matter. They, they do. Having good recruiting classes matter. You also have to have good coaches, but that doesn't mean that if you have um, – if you have good talent, uh, sometimes that can overwhelm a well-coached uh, small team. So uh, let's kind of keep an eye on that as we move along. Anything else on uh, – I guess we should talk about the Cal-TCU bowl game next week, Rob, since that's – we have plenty of time on that front. But, oh, like I am oh, not yeah, we have looking time forward. for that. I mean, what is the, like the over-under like six points? Like what? Oh, <laughs> it's – you know, it's funny. I've already done some – digging into the different players we we obviously know cal really well but i was looking into tcu and their advanced stats from your your model but also just overall statistics and some of the players that they have it's it's the perfect it's the perfect matchup for cal in the sense of weakness on strength and strength on weakness where you have there's like four or five tcu defensive players that are just so disgusting and that that defense is very good and then you look over like oh let's see take a look and see what's going on here at the uh on the offensive side and it's that gif where that guy comes in with the pizza and then the the whole apartment's on fire like that is the tcu offense oh they've been hideous this year on offense i mean and patterson you know really he's had he's had a very good defense for years and years um, and he went out and really opened up, went to the spread, and, and started to run some pretty effective offenses. Uh, this is not that. Like this is a really unexpected fall off for them to be this bad. Um, and they are. They're almost unwatchable. And like to be the like they're they're almost like the anti Big Twelve team because they have such a very good defense and such an unwatchable offense. Like they're the opposite of Oklahoma. But we'll watch it for you guys. We'll watch it for you. Um, well, I mean, it's amazing. Like when we look at like even previewing Ohio State later when we do Washington, like that um, that Ohio State TCU game earlier in the year, we 
to. It was sort of a mirage because we thought Ohio State's defense was better. And so we thought, oh, yeah, like TCU's offense is pretty good because they were lighting up that Ohio State defense. And then you're like, oh, wait a minute. Like later on in the year, you're like, oh, results may vary from early in the season. <laughs> <laughs> this could be bad. And this, this like I uh, – this could be like that Washington Utah game in the Pac-12 championship. Like whichever defense scores a touchdown could could decide the game. Yeah, and it's a bummer because we like using the model when we're picking our games. And again, it's always providing a context for the games. I think one of the things with the Pac-12 is you got to know the rosters, you got to know the teams, you got to yeah. know the coaching staff, oh, yeah. and all that stuff. But it does show you, okay, ASU's de- run defense is X, and you know Cal's defense is X. With this, like it's basically a pick'em. I think the model has, so we can't even. It's just basically a, co- a coin flip. Do not bet on this game. Like no, it's not. like six. Like I think TCU comes at sixty four and Cal at sixty five, or maybe it's like flipped. Like I think they're they're one apart. Like the model is basically like I can't tell these teams apart. So good luck. <laughs> um, it, the, the model. Do, do not bet on this game like this this game has just like all the possible weirdness like i mean you could see two defensive touchdowns from one team and like it could just be totally out there so uh i don't i don't claim to know who's gonna win this 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 game <laughs> <laughs> well yeah there's always one stinker in the in the bunch so we'll make sure to keep an eye on that well, mm-hmm. I, for, for the pac-12 sake we should hope that Cal wins this game, though, because yeah. um, the Pac-12 does need to run out a, a, a better bowl record than last year. And uh, yeah, and I the Bears have had such a fun season. I mean, it's it's been a grind, but that defense is so fun in some ways uh, to watch, and their offense is so so ineffective that it's almost fun to watch in that in that regard. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Uh, before we get into our around the world in 60 seconds or whatever thing for the Pac-12 uh, South in terms of the offensive players. Let's do a little bit of trivia here, Rob. And this is this one, I'm not going to lie, is a little bit tainted, but I did write these numbers down before I started <coughs> looking up the numbers of the different offensive players here. I wanted to see if we could guess the top six, um, and let's do three and three, uh, the top six wide receivers by reception yardage. So this isn't touchdowns. It's just how oh, many yards no. they got. Oh, yeah. By yardage? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dude, like not even like your total receptions yardage. Hey, anybody can catch a football, Rob. I can catch a football. It's what I do with it afterwards that matters. <laughs> oh, you're the worst person. All right, let's do it. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll let you start since uh, you thought it was. Oh, exciting. wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Um. Shoot. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to throw a wild card in there. Uh, no, I'm not. Hold on. Gosh, the pack 12, like was, it's like Washington state or nothing <laughs> in some ways throwing the ball. Um, I mean, Nikhil Harry, uh, let's do Nikhil Harry. Let's do Caleb Wilson. um, and then, oh, like I'm blanking on the Washington State wide receiver. Who's their big wide receiver threat? So there's two. There is Desmond Payton uh, or yeah. Patman. There's Patman. Desmond Patman, who I have to go back and see what his height is. Uh, but Tay Martin is the, the guy at 6'4". Yeah, Tay Martin. The problem is that uh, Leach throws to – he's he's a full-on communist. I know. He throws, he, throws, to he throws to everyone, but the, he throws so often that I, I have faith. Okay, and good call on Caleb Wilson. I think that's one of them uh, as the tight end at UCLA, which we'll talk about in a moment. Yeah. Um, I will do J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. I can't believe you didn't pick that one right away. Uh, 
stupid. And, and yes, Dylan Mitchell, Tom. which is definitely one. Then this last one will be so I'm I'm deciding between LaVisca Chenault, Isaiah Hodgins out of uh Oregon State. No, you should definitely do Chenault. Okay. And then Desmond Payton. Okay, let's do Chenault here. Okay. Although it, although if it is Hodgins, at least at least we have an honorable mention for him. Oh my goodness. Okay, oh, wait, hold on, we gotta do yards here. Okay, Dylan Mitchell first with eleven hundred and fourteen yards. All right. Nikhil Harry second with uh, ten thousand, ten thousand, <laughs> one thousand, ten, eleven billion. Congratulations, yards. Nikhil. <laughs> uh, one thousand eighty-eight yards. Both of them had nine touchdowns. Uh, Lavisca Chenault is number three with uh, one thousand eleven yards, six touchdowns. JJ Arcega Whiteside number four. 969 yards and four touchdowns. He had himself a great year. Caleb Wilson, number five, uh, 965 yards and four touchdowns. And number six, Isaiah Hodgins from Oregon State. Oh, man. Uh, he had a great year. He did. And they like to sling the ball around there. So I was wondering if he was going to fall in there. Um, the, you know, it's interesting. Desmond Payton or Patman, number 11, and Tay Martin isn't even in the top where is he's he? Number seventeen. Number seventeen. Good lord. Um, all right. Well, we were close. Five receptions. A lot of catches. Yeah. Uh, whatever. Five out of six. Five out of six. Okay. All right. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> Let, we just talked about ASU. So, do we really need to try to think like Manny Wilkins? I mean, Manny Wilkins. He threw for three thousand yards this year. He had a sixty-two, almost sixty-three percent completion percentage. He had twenty touchdowns and six interceptions. That's a darn good year. Like, it's not, I mean, it's not, I mean, this is the year that it was Gardner Minshew, like, for sure. I mean, 36 touchdowns, nine interceptions, like, that was the year to measure yourself against. But, I mean, Manny, I mean, Manny Wilkins had a, like, I, I will ride the, like, I don't, I'm not going to argue that Manny Wilkins is like, <clears throat> like, he may get drafted, but I have no illusions that Manny Wilkins was anything other than a very good college quarterback. But he was a very good college quarterback. Um, you would take if you went through the Pac-12 and you were drafting quarterbacks, you would take Manny Wilkins ahead of a lot of guys. And I think even as he had a very good year this year and had some options to throw to, if you gave Manny Wilkins a different offensive coordinator, you know maybe a guy whose last job wasn't at Kansas, I think he has a better year this year. Even like maybe he has a few more interceptions, but he probably pads it with like ten or eleven more touchdowns. Like he. You, he made all the throws you would expect somebody to be able to make this year, and I think he put enough on tape this year that he could he could get some looks uh, getting drafted. Yeah, that was, was my next question was whether or not he thought he'd get an offer, and I think they draft so many players that somebody might take a flyer on him, and you know, hopefully it works out for him. Um, but I mean, wouldn't you take like in in the South? Like, is there is is Manny Wilkins the best QB in the Pac-12 South this year? Okay, here's here's a question for you. Um, Would you take him over Tyler Huntley? Well, no, I, I want to. I want to do the Pepsi Challenge, and I'm gonna. I'm gonna bring up Khalil Tate. <laughs> All right, so I, <laughs> I, mean, I know. Like, really, like, yes, that's the big question, right? So, so Manny Wilkins, sixty-two uh, percent completion rate. Let's say sixty-three. It's more towards sixty-three. Twenty touchdowns, yeah. uh, six interceptions, seven yards per pass, seven point seven yard per, yards per pass. Khalil Tate, twenty-five uh, hundred yards, fifty-six percent completion rate. Hit you know, stab me in the eye with a fork. 26 touchdowns, eight interceptions, and uh, eight yards per 
pass. I mean, like, I look, I watched both those games. I would take Manny Wilkins. Uh, I, yeah. I understand that. But just like, yeah. it, was, it was interesting looking at the stats between Khalil and Manny where I thought Manny was significantly further along in terms of the just the raw statistics than Khalil Tate was. Is that, is that fair? I, I don't know. No, I mean, I think it, if you watch the games, you were expecting you and watching the offenses move because I think you could actually say, like, as far as running the football goes, that Arizona and Arizona State were fairly interchangeable this year. Yeah. Um, JJ Taylor and Eno Benjamin had pretty equal years. I mean, they both, uh, I think, earned some third team All American nods uh, on some lists. But uh, the big difference there is completion percentage. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, Tate, Tate threw for 26 and 8, 26 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. Um, but, the, I mean, Oh, you're talking about stalling an offense. (laughs) I mean, like Tate's completion percentage just stalled. I mean, you're right. I mean, that's like it just comes down to it. Like it just stalled the offense time and time again. Um, You know, whereas as Manny could keep the chains moving and keep drives alive, Tate just killed the offense for Arizona for at times. And um, and you could also, it's totally fair. I mean, if Khalil Tate had Manny Wilkins' set of wide receivers, he probably has a better year. But, ooh, I mean, I take I take Manny over Khalil Tate. Oh, yeah, me too. Like, Actually, let's play this game here. So um, we'll, we'll both take Manny over Khalil Tate. Do you take Manny yes. over Huntley, like you, you mentioned? I'd say I'd take Manny. I take man. I take Manny. I think he's. I think he's more polished. I think he can do more. I think. I think Huntley will get there. I just, if you looked at him this year, I take Manny Wilkins over. Yeah, JT Daniels. I don't think it's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like JT Daniels was. I mean, was he the worst? We'll get. We'll get to. We'll get to. No, there's one other one. There's one other. Uh, and that's Wilton Spate. Uh, I would definitely take Manny Wilkins. Here's here's the biggest question: Would you take Stephen Montez or Manny Wilkins? Ooh, and they both faded a little down the stretch. Yep. And that ASU offense faded a little down the stretch as people figured it out. But <clears throat> nobody faded like that Colorado offense down the stretch. And uh, I would take Manny over Steven Montez. I take Montez uh, with a like. I I would. I guess we're asking this question in the context of with a decent offensive coordinator, and I would take Montez in that situation. I just think he's a better passer. Um, and didn't make a ton of mistakes either. We'll get to him in a little bit. Um, but and three more interceptions. You would take Steven frozen pizza Montez over Manny Wilkins. <laughs> yeah. I just, uh, yeah, yeah, I would, <laughs> I, I would like to see, I mean, I'd like to see Montez in ASU's system. I mean, because right, our, our biggest I'm, criticism was of the Colorado state's offensive coordinator all year, right. In the Pac-12 South, that's probably the biggest person we dumped yeah, on all year. He was, he was not very mad. I mean, in, in both these cases, actually, like, I mean, here's a fun one. Like imagine, imagine Manny Wilkins running Washington state's offense this year. Like, do you think Manny would light that up? I think he would. I think Montez would as well, but I would actually, I think Manny, I think Manny's a little bit better at reading defenses this year. Okay. Um, Montez will get there. He's he's still got some time to play. Okay. Let's. Uh, we already talked about Nino Benjamin. I have one question about Nikhil Harry, and that's: uh, Do you think he underperformed based on his skill and size and ability to catch the football? I, I'm saying this in the sense of like not putting this on his shoulders. I'm more putting it on his offensive coordinator's shoulders because when I saw Nikhil Harry this year, I'm like, oh, that's like for sure 1,300 yards. 11 touchdowns and you know again his numbers are quite 
quite good. You know, I think yeah. it was like 1,100 yards and nine touchdowns. But he was just like you don't get somebody like that uh, often. I think it was the last time they had uh, the Harvey was the other kid they had where they were just gunning that ball down the field. And then when you look at something like John Ross, that's the type of talent I think Harry is. Obviously, Ross is way faster. I totally understand that. But in the sense yeah. of you look at a wide receiver and you just go, that guy is – I will not see another player like him for a, another one or two years. I think that's kind of the, the type of player he was. What do you think? Oh, I agree. I I think that he was – the and you and I made this comment that I mean and, and we used to would see ASU just do this and do this and do this is they would just basically run like almost like four verts but it's not even really a comeback like the the wide receiver is just basically like turn around and catch the ball ten yards down the field um, defenses figured that out pretty quickly and they didn't really have any other answers I I think Harry underperformed given his talent I would put seventy five percent maybe ish on the offensive coordinator i'd put 25 percent of it on nikhil harry because there are times i felt like he took some games off and he took stretches of games off and he looked disinterested and some of that may be that he was disinterested because the play calling wasn't where it maybe <laughs> should have been um and maybe it was even manny wilkins not getting him the ball where it should have been or finding him when he was open but uh, there were stretches where he he got shut. He really got shut down a lot in that Stanford game. Um, he didn't have. I mean, he he had some games where he just didn't have great games um, and didn't wasn't the dominant player that you would expect out of a guy that people talk about as the potential best uh, wide receiver to be drafted. Um, you know, very good numbers this year. Uh, a guy that probably will grade out well if he goes to the combine um and will get drafted probably on the first day but uh i don't i don't know if you watched a lot i mean i watched a lot of asu this year if you came away feeling like he put a, a dominant end-to-end performance through the pac-12 this year hey you talk about him taking games off he took the vegas ball off hey oh am i right am i right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey let, let's uh one more uh, player of note is brandon Ayuk, who came uh, on at the end of the year just want to yeah. want to just star that a little bit for next year because he's six one i think he's like almost 200 pounds that's a player that is you know talking about who's going to step up he certainly is going to be one of those players so um 474 yards three touchdowns his numbers weren't super impressive but he's one of those players where i could see him having a breakout season next year um rob let's go to arizona and and quickly go through these i only have three players and i just think we should just stat read them because uh just to save our listeners the (laughs) the uh uh, the burden of arizona like i did mention the 2500 yards 26 touchdowns, eight interceptions from uh, Khalil Tate. Uh, but the biggest number is his running numbers, which are 224 yards and two touchdowns. Ooh. Just uh, good Lord. Um, whatever, man. I, just a giant waste of uh, of a player, I think, uh, on that front. And I understand that he was injured for a number of games. But even for the games that he wasn't injured, uh, he was not running. And that's what made him special. So it be interesting to see, A, if he plays for Arizona next year, and B, if he does, what the type of play calling is on that it's front. Just, it's so weird to see because like they were call- it's not like Arizona wasn't calling zone read. Like They called zone read even when he was injured. Um you know, and Max Brown pointed it out in one of his, you know, video highlights was like, they're still calling zone read. He's making the wrong read and handing the ball off to the running back. Yeah. Um, it'd be, I don't know. I mean, like even when he was healthy, he wasn't running much. I just, I don't buy 
like <clears throat> Noah Mazzoni had Huntley or yeah, uh, Huntley at UCLA. Um, and that that tank of a quarterback, what was his name at Texas A&M? He was at OU for a little bit. Um, oh, I know who you're talking about. Knight, Trevor Knight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those guys ran 10, 12 times a game all season. Um, I just don't buy that, like, Noel Mazzoni, like, his genius idea was like, hey, let's never run Khalil Tate. Um, <laughs> I, I think part of it is that Tate was injured, and I just I, – I think Khalil Tate has decided not to run. <laughs> I don't know. That's my current theory, like – I just can't make any sense out of like if you're if you're still calling zone reads like your expectation as a quarterback is going to make some of the right reads. Well, when there's smoke, there's fire, and there's certainly some smoke down in Tucson in the friction between Noel Mazzoni and Khalil Tate. So yeah. I, I would knowing that I would tend to lean with you on that front, and we shall see what happens. Uh, and it seems like Mazzoni's st- sticking around, so we'll see what happens with Tate. I would not be surprised if he transfers, but um, if he sticks around, then we have another fun player to watch in the Pac-12. One one other player to keep in mind is J.J. Taylor, 1,400 yards, six touchdowns, 5.6 yards per carry. That guy's like 5'6", 150 pounds. <laughs> I mean, I'm joking, but not – I'm well, kind of joking. Uh, that's an impressive season for somebody that's that small. It's a huge year behind yeah. a makeshift offensive line. Absolutely. And to be able to be the guy and to carry that on his shoulders uh, game after game and not get hurt was quite impressive. So uh, the other player is Sean Poindexter, 759 yards, 11 touchdowns, 18 yards per carry. Uh, Pretty good year for somebody that had a 56% completion rate uh, at his uh, quarterback. So uh, just want to give him some props. Let's get into Utah, Rob. Who are some players that stuck out on your uh, on your radar on their offensive side? Well, I mean, the two guys that got hurt. Right. I mean, Moss and (laughs) Moss and Huntley. Um, uh, And I is Moss coming back? I don't Um, know. Right. He's a junior. Right. I mean, if he's coming like if he's coming back, that's awesome for Utah speaking for next year. I haven't seen anything on him declaring for the draft uh, and I am not an NFL talent evaluator, so it's kind of hard. Uh, you know, I would assume that he would get some looks just based on his ability to run these last couple of years. Even since he was injured, he had 1,096 yards and 11 touchdowns. <laughs> like that's yeah. shouts to Zach Moss, man. That's a that's a good year <clears throat> with the injury. No, and I, I mean, uh, you know, Shine had a pretty good year as well. Um, you know, you certainly feel good if you're Utah with those guys coming back. Um, I think with with Huntley, like it will be interesting because I think he, if he makes another leap, he could be quite good. Like I, I think he's still got some room to grow, um, and Utah still got some room to grow offensively. But their wide receivers really have to pick it up. I mean, yeah. if I was gonna, I mean uh, Nakua and uh, you know some of their other guys. Britain Covey. Uh, I mean Covey's man terrific i mean it's a bummer that he got injured um but he's sort of like dylan mitchell at oregon like he can't do everything um and teams have mostly figured out like you kind of have to you know you do have to cover britain covey i i'd like to see i'd like to see utah um you know like really take a step forward there i mean i don't know who they have returning on their offensive line that could be a big thing but this this offense should be pretty good next year if you just look at who they have all coming back I, I would think I wasn't as impressed with shine. I understand that he filled some big shoes and all that, but four and a half yards of carry. That's fine. 
Um, yeah. and, and I think he's a good second back. I want to see him make the leap next year. If he does, then look out. But I'm, uh, I understand that almost every year it's kind of like the Apple, like iPhone, basically every year the iPhone comes out and it's pretty good. <laughs> And that's that is Utah's offensive line every year. It's sometimes it's awesome, but it's always going to be at least pretty good. So he's going to have a good offensive line to run behind almost regardless of who's there. They just do a really good job building up that line. But, you know, it's kind of like J.J. Taylor this year where I was like, I kind of want to see whether or not he could prove it. And he certainly did. And that could happen with Armand Shine. And certainly Shine is bigger um, and did a decent job filling in. But I'm just let me just. Put a little earmark on that one and see what happens. But uh, it'd be awesome if Zach Moss came back because then you have two <laughs> two guys that uh, that I think almost any Pac-12 team would want uh, behind center. With Huntley, 64% completion rate, 1,700 yards, eh, almost 1,800 yards, uh, 12 touchdowns, 6 interceptions, and he had 4 touchdowns and 300 yards on the ground. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think he could certainly grow over time. You know, it was interesting at the beginning of the year, Rob, when we were doing our Pac-12 preview, uh, we were... I would say yelled at by a decent number of Utah fans for our take on their wide receivers. And I think we were right. Um, they're fine. Yeah, they, they've they're all, fine. They're, they're okay. Yeah. They're okay. Um, they've every year that they got one or two four star kids and, and some other dudes and every year they're, they're okay. So I would love for them to like, I, I need to look at their recruiting class and we'll certainly do this before we move forward. Um, but I would like to see them, you know, pick up a couple guys if they haven't already, because it would be really nice for them to have some really elite guys out there with a, an improved Tyler Huntley. Anything else on the Utah front? No, no. I mean, like if we, this year, I thought the schedule was going to jump out and be too much for the Utes and, um, that turned out not to be the case, and this was the year they won the South. But uh, I really thought next year was going to be their year, so uh, watch out. This could be a, a, a fun Utah team next year. I, I love teams that are one year early. Like it's it's so yeah. fun. Uh, we've seen this in basketball. Something you see a team make a, a deep run into the tournament, and you go, "Ooh, there's only sophomores on this team, yo!" Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. So. ooh, yeah. <laughs> Um, let's move to Colorado and woof. Uh, they had a, a really good start and that uh, crashed down to earth pretty quickly. Steven Montez, 2,800 yards, 64.7% completion rate, 19 touchdowns, nine interceptions, 238 yards on the ground, Robin, four touchdowns. That's pretty good. Uh, and yeah. he'll be back for one more year. Yeah, I mean, they snuck him out uh, to run uh, when they needed to uh, in that UCLA game. Uh, he got out and, and, and ran quite a bit. Um, some of their smarter and more innovative play calling, I think, is Montez is kind of sneaky athletic for his size. Uh, it'll be interesting, though, because I don't think that Roper, who's the, uh, the quarterback coach that they really like, that Montez felt like he developed and took a step forward, is going to stick around um, under the new offensive play caller. And I... I don't know. I'm interested to see this offensive play caller they brought on. I know a lot of uh, Colorado fans are kind of very optimistic about. He's he's okay. We'll we'll see. The proof will be in the pudding um, on on their new play calling system. But um, Montez had a pretty good year. You know, a little bit front loaded. Uh, kind of struggled on some of the back half of the year. Uh, but you have to feel good if you're a Colorado fan that he's he's probably coming back. I think there was some talk that he may put his toes in the NFL waters, which you know you should do if you if you have the opportunity to get a big payday. You should find out if that is if that you know you can get it a year early. So, oh um, yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, and he's he certainly got the the size. And I had kind of joked earlier in the year that he was like a a six six third, you know, first baseman. You know, like he's going to get drafted no matter what just because of his size. But I think Montez did more, a lot more than that this year. Um, you know, and he's he's he st- still has some room to grow. Uh, you know, and I I think that his that wide receiver core. Um, and the play calling can even help them out a little more than they did this year. But, uh, oh, and they, Colorado just landed a huge transfer from Auburn for a uh, grad transfer tight end. So, oh, right. Um, all right. My man. <laughs> I know. Like, <laughs> I, I knew you'd be excited by that one. That, like, a you know, big time tight end is coming into the, uh, to the Pac 12. So, um, he, uh, he should benefit from that. But we'll see. I, I'm, it's sort of like when, um, what was his name? The giant that was at uh, ASU Osweiler, like his, uh, he decided to go pro basically when Mazzoni went to UCLA. Um, and sometimes if, you know, you, if you look at your support system and they're not going to be back around, sometimes that sort of precipitates a decision to go if you have a chance to get drafted. Yeah. That was one of the news that came out from Boulder this last week, which I don't think we covered last week when was the offensive coordinator is sticking with Colorado. And we knew that, but he's not going to be the offensive coordinator. I think he's moving over to like wide receivers or some, yeah. he's doing something and he's keeping the recruiting class with him, which is good. But do you know who the offensive coordinator is? I'm assuming it's just some cat out of Georgia, but I don't, I don't know. It is. Oh shoot. Now I'm going to look up his name. Um, I, I did a, um, he was at Minnesota for one year. Um, before he got fired with that whole staff. Uh, so his name's Jay Johnson. Um, he was a quality control analyst. Um, so he basically worked with Mel Tucker to help, uh, break down the opposing team's offenses. So Mel Tucker being George's defensive coordinator, uh, and Tucker apparently came out of that with a, uh, a great big, uh, amount of respect for Johnson. Um, and his mind, he's a, he's a coach's kid. Um, but he's before that he spent five years at, uh, university of Louisiana Lafayette, um, doing what? offensive coordinator oh, okay <laughs> so, Dude, yeah he's a grad assistant oh sweet yeah. he was he was cutting the grass uh <laughs> his his best year was like 2012 as a play caller um some of his others were not that great that minnesota offense that he was the oc on graded out at 112 in beta rank right row. um yeah he runs a he runs a spread um often out of the pistol or the full shotgun um I don't, I don't know. People are, people are like super excited about this hire. Like I look at this as kind of like, uh, I don't know. I mean, like, hey, you got hired, like, bring your friends. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like even like last year, when you look at some of the hires that were made across the PAC 12 as coordinator, like the only one that I was really excited about was Danny Gonzalez. Um, I mean, Mazzoni, uh, Marcel Yates being kept on. Um, well, we liked Bo Baldwin and that didn't turn out. Super well. That was like two years. I mean, oh like, yeah, that's right. As an as a Naro at UCLA last year, um, Likens at ASU, like it was kind of an underwhelming bunch of coordinator hires in the Pac-12 recently, and this just it, it again it feels like a little underwhelming because you feel like Mel Tucker is going to put out like an improve on an already pretty solid Colorado defense. You know, could get very good next year. Um, 
you'd like to see him get like, just let it go, man. Like hire somebody like go nuts, like hire somebody great or like interesting or something. And this just, I don't know. Like it was just a little disappointing this hire. Yeah. I want to give a shout out to Hithliday on the running back front. So Trayvon McMillan had a thousand yards and seven touchdowns this year. And yeah. at the beginning of the year, I was kind of going like, well, you know, he had a good year, good freshman year at Virginia tech. He was a grad transfer out of Blacksburg. <laughs> and the next year his numbers dropped his next year's his numbers dropped. I'm like, well, I don't know. And Hithliday to his credit said he doesn't have like a degenerate disease. Like he's, he's, yeah. gonna, he's, he's actually, probably just it was probably just a scheme and he was right so uh shout out to him mcmillan had a pretty good year uh lavisca chenault obviously six foot two 220 pounds he had a pretty good year again 1100 yards six touchdowns faded a little bit at the end i know he was banged up too he had, i think he had turf toe right rob yeah he was out for three yeah. games i remember that and um and i'm sure he wasn't playing at 100 percent against usc either so bummer but I mean, other than Chenault, like Katie Nixon had a pretty good year and he's a sophomore as well. So you feel pretty good about that. But um, Nixon's not like a big guy. Like Colorado really struggled, struggled to get the ball to outside wide receivers outside of Chenault. Um, and some of the guys I think we they, they really thought would step up on the outside uh, kind of struggled to do it this season. So uh, with Nixon and Chenault returning, like you don't necessarily have to have a third wide receiver. Like somebody should be able to, you know, come in there and, and put up some good numbers, you know, with the uh, defense focused on the other two. But um, they, uh, they, they, I definitely felt like they were a little more disappointing than I was led to believe on the depth. <laughs> yeah. I really thought Juwan Winfrey was going to have a really good year and he's a senior, so he's gone, but uh, yeah. he had a couple big games last year and was, it, him and Chenault were kind of like the two guys that they had held up as being pretty good. And you're right. Katie Nixon's like listed as six, eight, which <laughs> God knows what that actually means in real life. So not the biggest guy. He's like five, team. eight. Oh, I'm sorry. Five, eight. Yeah. Five, eight. I was like, he's listed at six, eight. Like <laughs> Jesus. Like, <laughs> he's, he's like LeBron James running around out there. I mean, Tony Brown had a pretty good year. Yeah. He's the Texas tech transfer. I mean, he had 32 catches, but um, I don't know. He just, you, you, I, I thought that they were going to have more useful depth and um, it's just, they didn't have a lot out there. So let's move to uh, beyond those two who had a good year. Oh yeah. I'm with you. And he comes back too. he'll be a junior. So, yeah. Um, all right. Have you looked at JT Daniels numbers? Do I? Yes. Uh, I mean, at times I have definitely looked at JT Daniels numbers. Why? Um, what, what, which, which part do you want to talk about the most? I want you to guess what his touchdown to interception numbers are. Oh, geez. Um, like, I want to be really harsh and say that he has more interceptions than he has touchdowns, but that would be mean and probably not true. Um, did he have Did he have 15 touchdowns and 14 interceptions? No, all right. 14 and 10, so a little better than you thought. Um, Congrats but- to my favorite blockbuster employee. <laughs> Uh, 50, about 60% completion rate. Uh, I know it's just looking at this team, right? So I was trying to write down, okay, who are the, who are the offensive all-stars for USC? And it Oof. was, it was kind of looking, but you have to be so like, I'm so excited for Cliff Kingsbury unless some NFL team comes and hires him as a head coach. I'm so excited for the Cliff Kingsbury experience. Oh, absolutely. And one of the things, there are a couple players to point out like, uh, Veve Malapai, um, Malapai, Malapai, got it. Uh, 
I wish we had Alicia on because she's she just banks through the, <laughs> the name whisperer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, five hundred and one yards, five point four yards per carry, eight touchdowns, and they. You know, Alicia was right. I think we were a little too hard on SC's run offense. It was bad, and and I think Alicia acknowledged that it was bad. But looking back at the numbers, it wasn't as bad as I thought. I think just as we were watching the game, there was just so many times where it'd be, you know. Daniels hands off the ball for a two yard run. You're just going over and over and over and over again. You're just, how, how do these, how's this team not run? Like the Texas game, the USC Texas game was a perfect example of that. Uh, but Malapai, uh, oh my gosh, Malapai will return. And I think he should have a decent year next year. We are not being that unfair. They ranked 96 in beta rank running the football. Like when you adjust for who they played and when they put up some of those yards. It was not great. <laughs> That's <laughs> I mean, true. Yeah, like they had some big games against some bad I mean, teams. don't get me wrong. Like this, and some of it was the play calling. Like They didn't run enough in some ways, but like when they did, it wasn't great. All right, I'm going to name three players, and I want you to rank them in terms of yardage, in terms of receptions. Who had the most yards? Um, Tyler Vons, Amon Ross St. Brown, and Michael Pittman. Uh, who had the most yards? Michael Pittman? Uh, followed by St. Brown and then Vaughn's. Yeah, no, you're right. Did that um, work? Oh man, it. like I, I, I figured it had to be a trick question because like you automatically want to say St. Brown because that's who JT Daniels stared down all the time. Yeah, St. Brown, sixty receptions, seven hundred fifty yards, and just three touchdowns on the season. I understand he's a true freshman. I get it, but if you were listening to the USC games, the announcers made it seem like he had fourteen touchdowns in his back pocket by the fifth game and i'm like i mean like he's good but and but he's he's still a true freshman man but like these i mean oh man if Pittman sticks around Pittman, st brown bonds in cliff kingsbury's offense (laughs) 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 Oof! like how many how many catches does st brown have uh this year? year Oh, next ne- I mean, next year. Like, I mean, he's got sixty. Would he have sixty? Sixty this year? What do you think? I mean, could he hit a hundred? Yeah. Well, I I would argue that it would be better for him and for the offense if he had sixty receptions this uh, this coming year, because that means that the other talented wide receivers are getting looks and getting time and being able to match up. I think one of the problems was that, like you mentioned, Daniels would just stare at St. Brown regardless of where he was and regardless of who was covering him. Um, I agree there. That's true. Yeah, I'm trying to think. We'll have to go back and look. I know one of those wide receivers is a senior. So, but like, look, no, USC. no, Pittman's a, Pittman's a junior. Vaughn's is a sophomore, so oh he's definitely gosh. coming back. Oh, and whatever um, stupid class that they signed this year too. I mean, <laughs> yeah, provided like. But here's the thing about USC though is, so Jones will also be back. Felix Jones. They really didn't have a standout tight end, and you know they've recruited very well at tight end, but nobody stands out as having made very many catches at tight end for them. That's why they'll get a real offensive coordinator, Rob, who will appreciate the fine qualities of the, the pass-catching tight end. I, oh, who's their best? I mean, tight end was Josh Fallow, who had 10 receptions. Oh, my, oh gosh. my gosh. And when you think I USC mean, offense, like they always have – they always well, You know they can recruit. Like It's not like where you're at Arizona where you're like – I can recruit a guy that can block or can catch, but can't do both. Like this is USC. You can get a guy that can do both, you know? So like having 10 receptions and, and 
Kingsbury, like, do not expect him to run four wideouts. He'll be an 11 personnel probably most of the time. So uh, I would expect the tight end to get some looks. Nice, nice. Very excited for that. Uh, anybody else on SC that we should cover? No, I mean, are we missing uh, anybody on the, the rushing attack? I mean... I Cedric Ware had 825 yards. That's not terrible, that's right? That's good. That's good. That's really good. I mean, it's not USC good, but it's good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Speaking of good running backs, Joshua Kelly, 1,200 yards, Ooh, five and a half. Joshua Kelly. Oh, my gosh. Like, UC Davis, he was milking cows up in Davis in Northern California, and now he's, he's rocking. Chip Kelly's adopted son. <laughs> Chip Kelly's adopted son. Yeah, now he's rocking five and a half yards to carry 12 touchdowns. He is good, and he will be back next year. Um Let's talk about Caleb Wilson, Rob. This is this is a heck of a man. <laughs> Caleb Wilson. I mean, if other than I'll say like offensively, to any like other than Gardner Minshew, if you took Gardner Minshew out, would Caleb Wilson be your Pac-12 offensive player of the year? And that's weird because I say as a tight end, but. I mean, like when you think of Eno Benjamin, and oh, I'm trying to think of who else would was. But just, none of them had like I mean, like that kind of, the kind of year that Wilson had at the tight end position. It's I impressive. Know. I mean, I think it's I think it's an exceptional year for a tight end. Like, almost a thousand yards too. Like, how often do you see a tight end rocking 900 yards in a year? I can't think of the last time. I mean, 60 receptions, almost a thousand yards. He averaged. 16 yards a catch as a tight end. The only thing you can knock him on, and I I personally blame Chip Kelly for this because this makes no sense to me. He only had four touchdowns. (laughs) (laughs) If I had Caleb Wilson as my tight end, like Caleb Wilson would have like 20 touchdowns. Like we would just be running like plays, like rub plays to get Caleb Wilson open in the end zone. Uh, I, I'm with you on that front. Uh, yeah, he is. He was excellent. Had himself a really good year. He is going to the NFL, and he will be gone next year. Let's talk about these quarterbacks here. Wilton Spate, fifteen hundred yards, sixty percent completion rate, six touchdowns, six interceptions, and uh, and again, the announcers made it seem like he was a a game changing grad transfer for the UCLA football program. But when compared to Dorian Thompson Robinson, who I refuse to call DTR until he's an elite, elite player, 1300 yards, 57% completion, seven touchdowns, four interceptions. What happened to him, Rob? Well, he, he got hurt and then he got sort of, uh, while he pipped, um, you know, they brought back Wilton Spate and Spate just, uh, did not let go of the job, but you have to just kind of wonder on, on this one is, is Thompson Robinson coming back? I mean, because the friction that everybody sort of thinks is there in Tucson, um, it's sort of reported through back channels. Like it was not report. I mean, it was out there, uh, with UCLA with Thompson Robinson, um, and Chip Kelly. Like I, and I, they don't have a deep, bench at quarterback right now so this is this is interesting because thompson robinson was really supposed to be the future for this team but i guess the question i would have is i mean chip kelly when he had him he didn't run him very much you know does chip kelly run the quarterback anymore and if so 
does he want someone that can complete the ball at a clip better than 57%? Because Robbins, Thompson Robinson, that was his real problem this year. Oh, absolutely. And that was one of the stats that I saw where I was looking at the top rushers for UCLA, and one would assume with Chip Kelly that any quarterback, even Wilton Spate, will at least get 100 yards or something like that. I yeah. have to go back and look at his numbers, but uh, it, was, it wasn't even close. Like, they did not run the ball at all, the, the quarterbacks. And I would just assume that with Chip Kelly – he showed very quickly that he gave zero craps about college players. He's like, I will sit your ass on the bench as long as I want yeah. <laughs> because I'm Chip Kelly and I've coached in the NFL and I have a gazillion dollars. And it seemed like he was willing to do that in the beginning. And when you looked at the top rushers for UCLA, I also thought that you would see uh, Bolo Olamafunmi and then uh, Sasso Jumbo. And we thought that Casimir Allen would get a lot of carries because he might've broken through. turns out it was Joshua Kelly, but those two, two guys that were blue chip players for UCLA did not play at all. Basically after the first couple of weeks. And it looks like he'll probably do that with Dorian Thompson Robinson too. So if I were him, I get the heck out of there and go find a new place because uh, you only have the, was that you only have one first impression to make and it didn't seem like he did a good job there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like in some sense, like you, you could argue like he sort of got the job nailed down maybe now, but I mean, I wouldn't feel very confident with that because Chip Kelly started a guy that transferred from UC Davis and was a walk-on. So at running back, like he'll, he will go with someone else at quarterback um, and not hesitate. I mean, especially like at some point this year, like playing Wilton Spate, like UCLA was clearly out of bowl contention um, and chose not to play Dorian Thompson Robinson um, and develop him more this year and, and continue to play Spain. I just, I thought it was weird and you really have to piss Chip Kelly off to in a year with, what did they have? Was it three wins? <laughs> like, in a year where they had three wins, he chose to play the grad transfer down the stretch. Yeah. Um, like that's, I just, oof, like it's gotta be toxic behind the scenes. One other thing to mention with UCLA is Jalen Phillips, and we'll talk about the defensive players in the coming weeks, but Jalen Phillips, who is the former number one defensive recruit coming out of California, or just in the country, but he happened to be from California, has left the program, which is surprising because I thought he was going to be really strong. They actually had back-to-back number one defensive commits come to UCLA, and really neither of them have... I mean, they've been okay, but... At least Jalen Phillips played, like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> have we even seen uh mike Juarez, like at all <laughs> uh, well mike Juarez, but there was another another guy that um gosh his name escapes me right now too like i mean which is crazy because he had back-to-back-to-back guys basically um yeah. it, anyway he was another defensive end linebacker hybrid that um had a decent year oh, this yeah. year and uh <laughs> and guess who guess who stayed in the conference and guess who showed up at cal devin monster Ooh, yeah Cal, new Cal Bear, Devin Monster, like uh, coming to <laughs> coming to save the day in Berkeley. Oh yeah, eh, I I was not a fan of him life his last year. I know that. Yeah, uh, he's not as bad as you think. He's not as. I'm not saying he's like the savior, but that's just what the Bears need. Right? He's rather, not as bad as they as you think. <laughs> I would you not have rather watched? I mean, Devin Monster would have been better than Wilton Spate. Or Dorian Thompson Robinson this year? Yes. Yes. Okay. And Devin Monster, <laughs> would you take Devin Monster over anyone and or including Ross Bowers at Cal? I mean, 
Chase Garbers came on a little bit at the end, question mark. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Fine. Resist Devin Monster all you want. (laughs) It's going to, it is happening. It will happen. So, uh, any, any, uh, I don't know, anything else on the offensive front? No, I mean, I will say, like, uh, in the same, maybe even more so than I was impressed with, and I, I am a little impressed with ASU's being able to come in and run the ball the way they did, and the way Arizona was able to put it together kind of behind a makeshift offensive line. Um, I was really impressed with uh, the way UCLA was able to run the football behind a truly makeshift offensive line where you have moved a former four-star defensive tackle to center. And it kind of worked over the season. So um, kudos to the Bruins on uh, putting together a very effective rushing attack uh, behind a, a mixed bag of, of tools. I'd almost say that, too. With the, I know you just mentioned UCLA, but if I recall, our breakdown of AS, I'm sorry, our breakdown of ASU's offensive line was uh, what's going on here? Yeah, because there was. There were some decent players. I know they had the transfer from USC, the transfer from Stanford, but there wasn't a lot of depth. And that's that's a big problem in college football, because after your front five, if you don't have the depth there, it's kind of like, uh, <laughs> now yeah. what? And most of the same thing with Washington State, where there wasn't a ton of depth there. And now it's a little bit different in Pullman because, uh, you know, you had what's his face uh, Minshew just tossing the ball every two seconds out of his hand. So it is kind of a different situation, but for the most part the teams that had the bad offensive lines, it didn't kill them this year. And, and that's not always the case. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I, but I think that like, I, I think what we thought coming into the season, um, I don't know, like it, like, I, I don't know that they were all great at, great at pass protection. Like, I don't think that ASU's offensive line came Wilkins all the time. Like, Manny Wilkins took some shots this season. Um, and you could definitely say that about Spate or Thompson Robinson, too. Uh, but they they put it together in pass – I mean, in run, in run blocking pretty well. And that, that Washington State line, they held on just enough, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, uh I think that's all. Well, we'll, we will do the Pac-12 North next week. And if there's players that you want us to cover, let us know. So there are times when we're watching games and just there's players that slip by us. So uh, particularly on the defensive front, I definitely want to hear from people on like, hey, this quarter actually was quite good. <laughs> and you, you know, uh, Adebo, it's the year of Adebo next year. Oh, my gosh. It, you know, it's interesting because <laughs> we had so many freshmen corners. You had Chase Lucas and the kid out of yeah. Cal that were they were all freshmen last year that had decent years. And it'll be fun to see if they all come into their own as juniors and, you know, as upperclassmen and stuff, but they certainly had some interesting times this year, but uh, stay tuned. We'll continue to rock these every week. And uh, if you like the podcast, share it. We certainly would appreciate it. We're getting a decent listenership, but um, the more people that are commenting, the more stuff that we can talk about that we may have missed. We do try to watch all the games. We do try to make sure that we're following all of the beat writers for every team and all that stuff. But yeah, we're human and we both have full-time jobs. So, (laughs) so uh, definitely, definitely, let us know uh and then uh, don't be a jerk when you talk to us about the stuff that we've missed thanks thanks for listening i think that's it yep